This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey there, survivalists. Welcome to yet again another episode of The Crux True Survival Stories. I am Tessa King, your host, and joined as ever by my sister, Casey McIntosh. That sounded really like Casey radio. McIntosh. <laughs> you did a good job. Yeah, I'm impressed. I have like a lounge singer's voice this week. Oh, like a, a I'm getting casual over a cold. smoker. Yeah. Two pack a day, yeah. I sing it. I'm. I sing in the bars at night too. As long as you don't start talking like this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll try to refrain. Okay, sorry. Go on, please. Today we will be talking about the Robertson family. In 1971, they embarked on a worldwide adventure. They would travel for about a year and a half before their worldwide adventure. Uh, sorry. Stop being so worldwide. Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) It was an outback. I didn't. Okay. Hold up. In 1971, the Robertson family embarked on a worldwide adventure. They would sail around the world for about a year and a half before their ship would sink, leaving them stranded for 38 days in the middle of the ocean. Not cool. Mm Mm-mm. The father of the Robertson family, Dougal, was born in 1924. He was the youngest of eight children. Oof. Wow. When he was old enough, he joined the British Merchant Navy and was involved in maritime until about 1942, when he and his wife were on a passenger and cargo ship that was attacked and partially destroyed by an aircraft from the Japanese Navy. Eek. Yeah. In this attack, his wife and son were killed. Oh, are you serious? That's yeah. horrible. Yeah, so it really put a damper on his uh, seafaring life, as you would imagine. After the fact, Dougal remarried and began work as a dairy fam- as a dairy farmer in Murbrook, England. For many years, he and his family lived in very isolated conditions. So he remarried and had some kids. How many kids did he have? Well, I'll tell you. Dougal's son, Douglas, would later say of his family, my father thought in order to offset that, the isolation in other words, he would take us around the world in a boat to educate his children in the university of life. The family departed on January 27, 1971, on a 43-foot wooden schooner, which was christened Lucette. It was purchased with the family's life savings after selling their farm. Wow. The family consisted of Dougal and his wife, Lynn, 18-year-old Douglas, 17-year-old Anne, and twins, Neil and Sandy, who were nine. Douglas said, quote, Father's planning for this journey was zero. We didn't even have the practice sail around the bay before setting around the world. I always remember my dad at the helm as we set sail from 
foul mouth, stamping on the floor and shouting, yeehaw. He was actually living his dream at the time. I wonder how Douglas felt about it. He was obviously old enough to leave the family home and to just embark on a trip like that with his parents at that mm-hmm. point. It seems a little bit. And even his sister at 17. Yeah. She's pretty close to that, too. I guess when you live a sheltered life, you don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I guess it's the 70s. What was yeah. going on then? Guys? I don't know. I'm, just I'm sure a lot of stuff. Probably a lot on. of stuff. But in any case. It is interesting because none of the other family members had ever really been on a boat or had any experience. So they were really counting on Dougal to lead the way. He was the only one with any experience on the water at all. But they did pretty well for about a year and a half. They sailed across the Atlantic and stopped at various Caribbean ports. 17 months into travel, the daughter, Anne, retired from the voyage in the Bahamas and good on you yeah i yeah have fun in the bahamas i just i'm unclear about this part of the story because i don't know why she left and what she would be doing in the bahamas at about 18 because she's 18 and she's like peace out i'm (laughs) done on this boat i'm gonna stay in this beautiful location can you imagine mom and dad and be like oh guess you're 18 have fun in the bahamas well i can't imagine mom and dad ever being like let's go on a boat for and sail around the world okay that's fair that is a very very fair At this point, the Robertson family picks up a deckhand, and his name is Robin Williams. What? (laughs) But not the Robin Williams, so don't get excited. He's way less funny, I'm sure. Yeah. It'd be a bummer to be having the name of some really funny celebrity and just following in their footsteps your whole life. But Not being funny. I mean, when did Robin Williams get famous? Oh, probably in the 80s, so this is a little early for that. Yeah, so he didn't have the notoriety (laughs) yet. Not yet. So after they pick up Robin Williams, they're two days into a 40-day leg to the Marquis Islands. In the early morning, Douglas was in the cockpit of the ship with his brother Sandy when he saw a large triangular fin of a killer whale. Hmm. Everything really happens fast after this. In a matter of seconds, there were impacts on the ship, three in quick succession. The schooner was lifted into the air. A horrible crack went through the air, indicating that the wood at the bottom of the boat had snapped. Douglas recalls now, quote, the whole boat shook and the keel must have cracked. There was splintering of wood cracking, if you can imagine the sound of a tree trunk being snapped in two. I thought we must have gone aground. We must have hit the bottom somehow, even though we were in the deep sea, because I couldn't think of another explanation of of what had happened. I looked down the hatches and said, Dad, are you okay? And he was already up to his ankles in water. Uh-oh, I hope they have a lifeboat on this sucker. Within moments, Dougal called to his family to abandon ship. He turned on the radio to send out an SOS while Lynn collected emergency supplies. Unfortunately, the radio would take a few minutes to warm up, and by the time Ugh. that it would have been ready to go, the ship was too far gone. It took only minutes for Lucette to sink. In fact, the mother, Lynn, was still in her nightgown as they crowded into the small emergency dinghy. Not the thing that you want to be wearing in a dinghy. Not at all. No. What would you what would you choose to wear in a dinghy if you if you <laughs> if you could like pre plan? I would want like moisture wicking 
Yeah, like easy dry athleisure. Yes, <laughs> sign me up. Athleisure, a hundred percent. Yeah, because a lot of that is kind of like swimwear anyway so yeah. it's just hybrid and it's got like the upf or whatever yeah so, full coverage yeah. not too hot not a nightgown that's probably polyester yeah. blend yeah yikes douglas said later quote it was a 10-man raft but it could only take five people comfortably we had bellows to keep it inflated but they broke after a few goes so i had to blow it up by my mouth oh no that's terrible yeah i bet that's a pretty vivid memory the problem with this accident is that they were not on a shipping route. So the chances of being spotted by another boat and rescued were really, really low. And the father, Dougal, told the group that they would not survive. He was really dead. He's like, there's no way. We're going to die. Wow. I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, I think in this setting, you might as well just have some optimism. You might as well go down with optimism. Yeah. I mean, you know? You're not giving yourself a very good chance if you think you're going to die right off the bat. Yeah, just failing ahead of time. Uh Uh-huh. Douglas, however, made the first call for survival to make their way toward the doldrums to find some rain for drinking. And it turns out the doldrums means an equatorial region of the Atlantic Ocean. It doesn't just mean you're sad. They were in the doldrums, and they were heading towards some other doldrums, more literally. (laughs) And since I was curious, I looked up from BBC, their website, they said, this band of sea where the northern and southern trade winds collide is known for its calm water and little surface winds, which might make it extremely slow to sail through, hence the nickname, the area acquired from board sailors, the doldrums. But it is exactly because of these conditions that it was appealing to the Robertsons. The lack of surface winds is what makes it an ideal place for survival. Mm. Yeah, Douglas made a really good call. And when they were passing this area earlier on their boat, they noticed that there was rain going through. So not only was it less likely that they would have trouble in the doldrums, but they would be able to have a chance for fresh water. How did they know how to get there? I mean, I guess that it's just like the directional skill. (laughs) The directional skill. I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, they had just been past this area. They had sailed past it on their way to the Galapagos. I wonder if they had a compass or something, because I think when you're out in the middle of the ocean like that, everything looks exactly the same. I guess Mm -hmm. the sun, you could, you know, where the sun's setting and coming up. Yeah, and also I know that they did have some, some sort of emergency store. It had mentioned that the mother, Lynn, had been trying to put things, emergency supplies together for the boat while it was sinking, so. The father is trying to get the SOS signal out, and the mother is trying to get things together, which is probably why she was in her nightgown. So um, just for the record, if we ever are sailing around the world together, all of our stuff for the dinghy is going to be ready to go before we sink. Deal. I mean, I don't know <laughs> if I really want to do that. No, I don't want to either. The only way sure I want to no. sail around the world is like in a fancy yacht. Even fancy yachts probably sink. I'm yeah. sure they do. They probably do, but they probably have ready-to-go emergency stores. With motors, maybe. And it won't take more than a couple minutes for the radio to set up because I'm pretty sure it'll already be going. Once again, this is the 70s, Casey. (laughs) (laughs) The radio had to warm up. (laughs) So what they had planned to do was sail, or I should say row, 
to the doldrums, store water, and then row back to America, carried on a current. And by the family's calculations, that would take about 72 days. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Wow. So at least they had a good game plan. I don't know whose idea this was. This is all from articles online, so... I think the game plan is a big part of um, survival. Remember the story about the guy that was lost in the woods, Andrew Devers. Andrew Devers was like, I had a plan for every day. I was going to get up. I was going to eat. You know, just having a schedule. And he also had that attitude that we were just talking about where from the get-go, he wasn't really worried. He always knew that he was going to make it through. Yeah. And that helped him make it through. Yeah. Even though he was much less prepared for that situation. That's true. Having only Mountain Dew and SpaghettiOs. Spaghetti-os. <laughs> yeah. So here is the lowdown about what the Robertson family had on their boat as far as food. They had six lemons, 10 oranges, a tin of biscuits, a bag of onions, and half a pound of sweets. They only had water for 10 days. Oh, no. Which, you know, 10 days is actually pretty good. Yeah, 10 days is pretty good, but I know they're out there a lot longer than that. Yeah. The family survived by catching flying fish and sea turtles. They would dry the meat in the sun to preserve it, and they also turned to drinking the turtle blood for hydration. Douglas said, quote, We tie them up, bleed their jugular into a cup, and drink their blood. It's grim. A little bit salty and hard to get down, but it keeps you alive. Oh, man. That would be tough. Better than bat blood, maybe, by a couple degrees, but not by much. Not by much. By the third week, their clothes had almost completely rotted away. Douglas said, quote, so we were sort of naked, a bit like cavemen. When the family arrived in the doldrums, there was no rain. They became very dehydrated to the point where if they accidentally cut themselves while killing a turtle, there was no blood and they did not bleed at all. It's such a weird thought that you could be having such thick blood that you're not even bleeding when you cut yourself. And this article specifically was saying it's not even just that your blood isn't clotting, but that your body naturally keeps your blood circulating more to your core and less to the extremities when you're that dehydrated interesting (laughs) just your blood flow is not as good yeah and the other thing is if you are not perfusing your limbs then you're losing less fluid because Mm -hmm. that's how you know this you lose fluid from surface area yeah that is very interesting the human body is cool in addition to drinking the turtle blood they began to drink the spinal fluid from fish skeletons and eat fish eyes gross Yeah, and there are quotes from Douglas about how it was satisfying to pop the fish eyes. It's funny. I'm like, at what point are you like, okay, let's figure out how to kill this turtle, guys. We need to catch this so we can cut it open and eat it just the way it is. There's got to be some kind of way to surpass your mental blocks for this, for survival. I mean, I think the way that you do that is that you're just starving. They waited in the doldrums for four days until it finally rained. That's a long time. That's a long time. It didn't tell me how long it took them to get there, but if the point is they had 10 days of water and then they were drinking turtle blood, there is a discrepancy here. Mm -hmm. It took them more than 10 days to get to the doldrums. Douglas said later, we were so joyous and we drank our fill of water. 
All the meat went bad because of the water, but we ate what we could and discarded the rest. So what did they have to collect water? And they had cups, you mentioned before. It must have been that. It couldn't have been their boat. I'll tell you about that later. Uh, We'll get to it. The water, although it was saving their life, created a whole other problem. Because the family had to constantly bail out the dinghy and take shifts through the night so the craft would not sink. Oh, that would be so, so scary. Yeah, it's a pro and a con because you've been waiting. You rode out there specifically to get water, but also it could kill you. Well, and the other thing is like that water is only going to last so long. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to be in a position of you just wait around for it forever. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, they must have had something because like I said, their plan was to stockpile the water and then get carried by a current to America well, for 72 said, days. You said they had 10 days of water to begin with, so they obviously had something to hold that 10 days of water. Yeah, yeah. sure. The mother, Lynn, was a trained nurse, and she knew a few things because of this that helped them survive. For instance, that turtle oil could help relieve painful saltwater boils that the family was consistently getting from sitting in water. The stingy only had one dry seat in the boat. I'm just wondering what nursing school teaches that. I'm sorry. <laughs> maybe she was a homeopathic nurse <laughs> listen I'm just telling you what BBC told me okay I'm just impressed that someone who was living in England knows about I don't know maybe this is standard maybe it nursing is. school in England maybe I just I've never heard of anything I don't know how you procure turtle oil but if That's anybody could tell us procure thank you <laughs> anyway as I was saying there's only one dry seat in the whole boat if you remember, I said that this dinghy didn't comfortably seat all of them. Yeah. So it was probably a little off kilter. And then with all the weight and the water, there was only one dry seat. And so the family all took turns sitting on the dry seat. That's good. Because otherwise someone would end up overboard, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lynn also knew the dangers of drinking the fluid at the bottom of the dinghy because it was a gross combination of blood turtle entrails and rainwater ah yeah so she's like don't drink that that is going to be horrible for you you might die yuck because i mean it's probably something they thought of is oh we can just catch water in the boat and just drink this yeah not a good idea though yeah after 38 days lost at sea the family spotted another ship dougal lit a flare and held it until it burned his hands The ship remarkably turned around toward them. And okay, get this. It's crazy. (coughs) Sorry. The boat they had been spotted by was a pirate ship. (laughs) Yes. What? No. (laughs) Was a Japanese fishing boat. Oh, ironic. Yes. Douglas said, my dad had been sunk once before by the Japanese in 1942, and here they were in 1972, picking him out of the water and saving his life. It's crazy. Yes. He did say, if for no other reason than to be able to forgive the Japanese for what happened, the trip was worth it. Wow. Like the entire trip? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, probably just the loss of sea, but... Okay. Because I'm sure they had a great time up until that point. So when they came out, they were put on broad-spectrum antibiotics. They weren't able to eat food right away and were placed on a diet of coconut water. The funny thing is that this BBC article mentions the Wild Boar's football team. 
what? we talked about because remember all those boys were stuck in a cave and so when rescuers came they only let them have like electrolyte water uh-huh. and they were writing letters like please give us good food <laughs> Uh, and then it also mentioned the Chilean mining accident of 2010, where similarly, that's what they were feeding. Everybody, Chil- yeah. yeah, everyone just wants actual real food. Yeah, it's just funny because here are two stories we talked about, both told by me. <laughs> both told by you. Yes. And then there was Ricky McGee, that story told by me, the Australian yeah. guy that got stuck in the outback forever. And yeah. he was like, screw you guys, I'm eating hot dogs. Yeah. <laughs> Respectable. Or whatever it was that he was hiding when he was in the hospital. Yeah. Real solid food he wasn't supposed to be eating. Yeah. You could get really sick like that. So at your own risk. When they reached Panama, the British embassy put the family up in a hotel, and Douglas finally had three servings of steak and eggs, which made him, quote, sick as a bloody pig. <laughs> Have you ever had steak and eggs? Because that's definitely not anything I've ever experienced. Is that a British thing? No, I think you can get it at like a diner. It's not like quality steak, usually. It's like diner steak with some eggs. Okay. You never had steak for breakfast? Um, I can't say that I have. I don't think anybody has good steak for breakfast. Maybe that's point? a controversy. I don't know. Beef is good. How about just bacon? Yeah, I well, I agree with you. <laughs> if I was gonna why have not bacon? If you're gonna have breakfast meat, why not bacon? I'm yeah. sorry. Sorry to you vegetarians. Yeah, you're I'll not stop. welcome. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Please listen to us. <laughs> After this event, Dougal Robertson wrote a book called "Survive the Savage Sea," which was made into a film in 1992. Douglas also wrote a book about the family's experiences called The Last Voyage of Lucette, which was published in 2005. The reason Douglas wrote this book is that he was trying to make a point about the family, what the family members went through during the experience, where his father wrote more about the history of the boat and the route in which they took, mm-hmm. and in their own experience kind of wrote about what he went through, not the family ordeal. Yeah. So there's value in both. Check out the books, guys. Maybe you can find out some more juicy drama. Maybe we from should the have story. a movie. Maybe we should have a movie night. Yeah, and watch that movie from yeah. 1992. Yeah, there are a lot of articles featuring Douglas because he's still around. He's only 66 and he's living in London, so he has a wealth of information that he's willing to share with the BBC. Is he willing to share it with us? Yeah. Hey, Douglas, hit us up. <laughs> I think we're gonna probably have to write him. Oh, well, I guess he's not already listening to us. <laughs> yeah, he could tell us some cool stuff. But if you want to hear any more listeners, check out the books and let us know what you think. And if you have any input as far as what stories you'd like to hear, shoot us an email at Casey. Hit us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I'm like, she um, doesn't know our own email. What's our email address? Oh, my goodness. The correct survival at gmail.com. If you ever have anything nice to say to us, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We love to hear from you. Only if you're trying to be nice, though. <laughs> if you don't want to be nice and you want to give constructive criticism, feel free to use our email. Yeah, that's actually great. Yeah. That's great advice. Yeah. Yeah. So we can continue to bring you wonderful content or entertaining content, if nothing else. At least we try. Yeah. We're trying. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, anyway, that's this week. 
next week we'll be back at you with another great story stay alive until then whoop whoop bye bye <laughs>